Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. So today we're doing something a little bit different, I think, than what we've done in the past. We've got a couple of faculty on here with us from the School of Environment and Natural Resources who conducted the 2020 Ohio Farm Poll. And it's really interesting the results that they came out with. Um, Looking back at 2019, I think that you as farmers will find some interest in that and hopefully learn a few things from this that you can take forward and improve your farm businesses and um, home life as well. We'll get into a little bit of that. So let's go ahead and do introductions. Doug, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm Doug Jackson Smith. I'm a professor in the School of Environment and Natural Resources and uh, been with Ohio State for about five years now. And I'm Shoshana Inwood. I'm an assistant professor and rural sociologist in the School of Environment and Natural Resources with both the research and extension appointment. Well, thank you both for joining us today. So this poll, you reached about 900 farmers with it. Is that correct? That's right. So what we set out to do about a year ago is collect a random sample of farms from across the state of Ohio and get a good representative sense of what was going on at that time on the farms. Um, As you know, as we've talked, the initial idea was coming off of 2019, which was a really tough year for a lot of farmers in terms of weather and commodity markets, getting a sense of how people were impacted by that and how they responded and and how that was working out for them was, was the initial goal. Of course, we didn't know anything about COVID when we wrote the survey and we put it out in the field, but, um, We can talk a little bit about that maybe at the end. You guys are going to be putting out uh, some information on this here, hopefully by the time we release this podcast, but it does look like you really hit a diverse group. You've got people from all across the state and different, you had categories, other livestock, dairy, hay, specialty crops, cash grains. There's a fair number of responses, of course, based on the region, you see more, but like Northwest, Southwest, Ohio, higher percentage of grain farms, but then you get into Eastern Ohio and a fair number of livestock and things like that. I think one of the things that's worth emphasizing, um, I'm really impressed with how diverse Ohio agriculture is. And if you drive, I've had a chance now to get around most of the state and to see what different landscapes are like, what different kinds of farms dominate in different places. I know uh, as somebody who studies agriculture and and, um, I know a lot of the folks who work in survey research here that we've given a lot of attention, particularly to Northwestern Ohio with all the interest and concerns around Lake Erie, but information about the full spectrum of farms from across the state has been a little hard to come by. And so we really set out to try to capture the full spectrum, the full, full range of diverse farms that we have. So you guys kind of broke this down into three major findings. So Doug, do you want to go into what those are? Um, Give us an overview and then we'll dive into each one a little bit more. I think the first is that 2019, as hard as it was, did help serve as a stress test for the state to get a sense of where farms were vulnerable, where farms were thriving. And that I think speaks to long run issues that the state wants to deal with insofar as it's trying to strengthen opportunities for agriculture to remain a key part of Ohio. The second thing really is this diversity, um, that farms experience the weather and the price impacts quite differently depending on their type of farm, their farm size, and even the region of the state that they lived in. 
And so there's no one story that tells the um, results of, of what that year meant to Ohio agriculture. And I think the final piece is really critical, and that's that the well-being of farms hinged quite a bit on what was going on in their households. And so those two things are intimately linked. And we really saw how um, adapting to the stresses in 2019 required support from and turning to the household. By the same token, things going on in the household were equally important drivers of well-being and stress on farms, things that were not a part of the farm economy, but that definitely affect farmers were quite clear in the results of the survey. Yeah, those are all really interesting points and some things maybe we don't consider as much as we should when we're looking at this. Um, you mentioned the stress test and what that revealed as far as strengths and weaknesses. Um, one that I saw was large farms were more delayed in planting, um, but then I was thinking, well, they also often start earlier as well. So what are some of those stress test topics that you saw really come out? Well, I do think to connect that stress test with the farm type, we saw larger farms and farms that, you know, certainly are corn and soybean operations um, being the most impacted by weather, um, having the most effect on their planting, uh, having the most effect on their yields. Um, these are also larger farms do tend to farm more intensively and um, be pushing the limits or the outer uh, limits of what we're able to do in agriculture. And so they have systems that are quite sensitive to these major um, impacts that can occur. And so they, um, perhaps smaller farms or, or farms with more diverse uh, crop rotations and so forth experienced it differently, but that's a, a reflection of the, how they farm and, and what their farm is um, normally doing and what they're capable of doing. One other point that I found interesting was looking at the price received for products. And uh, in that graph, you see that it kind of increases, the significant drop increases with the size of sales, but then it drops off at that higher level. So I don't, I don't really know what that means or how to interpret that necessarily, but you kind of see it stair step up to about the 250 to 999,000 and then it didn't seem to impact the million dollar or more sales as extensively. Just thought that was an interesting observation. I don't know if you guys have any comments on that. Well, we're not entirely sure why, but it certainly has to do with the increased prevalence of very large farms often being involved in um, markets that have been contracted or hedged. And so they've protected themselves using tools against price drops um, or are, you know, have established relationships where they might not have been as vulnerable to the kinds of things that were changing in 2019. I was gonna say another thing that um, might be helpful to remember is that Ohio is really diversified in its farm size and type. And what we often forget is that the majority of farms are actually small and medium sized farms. That even though the larger farms produce the majority of farm sales, they're actually the smallest number of farms in the state. So it's also really helpful I think to step back and think about what were the implications for the different types of farms and how many farms there were across the state and not just concentrate only on the largest farms. Yeah, that's a good point too. And I think this is good information for farmers to take in and also for us as educators that we can use um, to address issues um, and help farmers become more successful. Yeah, because in some ways being 
a little bit smaller, what we saw in 2019 or having more diversified crops or and markets actually protected you a little bit when there was really a, a cataclysm of different <laughs> events that happened, not just the rain, but then also issues with markets and trade, um, many of which were outside of a farmer's control um, and having a wider range of options um, of markets and then also crops that could be planted and harvested at different times helped to buffer the, those impacts a little bit. Yeah, and that kind of gets us into that point number two of farm diversification, and that came through as a strength. And I think we know this, you know, the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket, but that's kind of what we've trended towards with um, corn and soybean production in Ohio. Um, it definitely helps with efficiency, but when things go sideways, um, there's not much to fall back on. Yeah. What else did you find with that diversification? I think Shoshana said it well that um, one of the things that we definitely see is that uh, there has been some shift towards uh, diversification of uh, some practices on Ohio farms, but the long-term trend has definitely been towards efficiency and scale and specialization. And um, I think if uh, we learn anything in 2019, it's a reminder that while that's tremendously important for uh, maintaining output, and providing efficient, affordable food, it does uh, increase our vulnerability uh, to extreme weather. And as we learned in, the, in a couple of years there, uh, dependence on global markets can also come back to bite you if we get caught up in, in debates and politics around trade. Um, and I think Ohio farmers that are dominating some of the, the large uh, specialized production systems found themselves to be a little bit more exposed to that than um, many of the farms in the state that aren't really participating in those programs as much or, or sell into different markets or have a more diversified portfolio. Yeah. And, and to follow up on what Amanda said, you know, I think that insight you had that, you know, the one constant in agriculture is change, right? We know every year is different. There, you can't go by what happened last year for so many different reasons. And that's a strength. Right. And we all we want to promote that strength when we're thinking about programs and policy is that when we have a lot of different types of farms that are producing different types of crops and different types of markets, whenever there is any particular shock that not everybody's going to be vulnerable at the same time. So we're actually a much stronger state and a much stronger farm economy and farming system when we have more diversity in it. So that actually makes us much, much more resilient in the long term. Yeah, I think the results of the survey are, are really helpful because even if, you know, you fall in a certain category of farm, you can look and see what um, different aspects of different types of farms might be benefits that you can find a way to incorporate into your own operation. Um, you know, diversification is a great example of that, you know, how to, how to strengthen your, your own farm. Well, I, I was just going to say, I think we could also take that diversity into the social world okay? and in looking into the households. Um, and we saw a lot of different ways in which um, farms are not only structured, but also how they responded to that stress and just how important um, families and households were, were in surviving. So those are great points, Shoshana. And I thought that was one of the most interesting things that jumped out to me was how important the household um, was to the success of farms when we were in these high stress years. So do you want to explain a little bit more what you learned from that aspect? Yeah, sure. So a lot of times we're really 
comfortable talking about farm economics, just only focusing on the enterprise budget um, and not really thinking about how does it intersect with the family and the household budget. And the reality is that we know that the majority of farms in Ohio are family-based operations, which means, of course, that the family and the business are going to intersect and overlap in terms of values and how the business is structured. And what we were able to do with this survey is to really um, hear from Ohio's farmers of just how embedded um, households are in the pharmacology economy. So in a really bad year, um, we heard from 40% of Ohio farmers that they relied on household savings to meet their farm expenses. Um, and more than a third delayed purchases for, um, for the farm business and um, cut back on household spending. So we could really actively see the ways in which the household was really subsidizing um, the farm business. And that's really important. So as we're thinking again about programs and policies and the way that we're guiding farmers about the decisions they're making for their enterprise, that it's really Really important to actually take into account that household priorities um, and values. The other thing that we also saw um, that we often tend to not always pay attention to um, was when we asked about the stresses um, within the for the farm, um, we're really familiar with, and over half of farmers said yes, weather and farmland costs were, were a really big issue. Um, but over a third also said that healthcare costs um, are a really big stress and cause of concern for the farm business. And again, that's something that we don't often pay attention to. And what is something else that the state really has to reconcile with is that we have an aging and shrinking farm population. Um, and for farm production, it's really important to have healthy farmers. And what we saw from our um, survey is that almost 60% of Ohio farmers have a family member with a pre-existing or chronic health condition. Um, and that makes it hard to do farm work. And we actually had one in three farmers tell us um, that somebody in their family had a health condition that makes it difficult to work on the farm. And that's going to affect um, farm profitability and farm viability. So it's going to be really important, again, as we're thinking about the economics of the farm of how do we move again, not just beyond the um, crop budget, but also to be thinking about these very real household um, and people issues. Yeah, and I think another thing that that really that household income can bring too is you know health insurance. You know when you talk about um, those pre existing conditions, you know in the farm world finding insurance, it's I mean it's gotten easier in recent years, but that off farm job that's definitely something that it often brings to the table for farm families. Yep, definitely, Elizabeth, and that's something that um, we kind of have taken for granted is that either the operator or family member is gonna be working off farm, not only for that added income um, that can help buffer in a rough year, but also for those benefits. And that's a really important issue because it takes time and energy away from the farm business. Um, it can add additional stress as people are trying to maintain their off farm job and not get fired from that job in order to maintain benefits. And so I think that this is a really important conversation that we have to start addressing with a little bit more directly of how does um, health um, healthcare, access to health insurance, um, the cost of those issues of healthcare and health insurance really affect um, our farming system. Yeah. So I think, you know, this survey really drives home a lot of important points. Um, do you guys have some recommendations that you've developed for, for folks like our listeners that may help them be more resilient to to years like 2019 in the future? Sure, I'll throw out a couple of things. I think one size certainly does not fit all when it comes to um, thinking about how to address the needs of Ohio agriculture. 
So having a diversity of programs, a diversity of policies, resources that are targeted towards farms that produce different commodities. Um, we really have those needs throughout the state and supporting farms of different sizes and types gives the state as a whole a little bit of a buffer or resilience in the face of changing markets and changing um, weather and, and so forth that we expect to come down the road. Um, there's a lot of public policy invested in helping protect farmers from shocks, but a lot of it right now is money spent to, um, I think, really compensate for some of the, the risks associated with specialization. And what we saw in 2019 and again in 2020 are significant public expenses to help make farmers whole who suffered um, quite a lot from that. There's good questions about how long that can continue, but certainly a, a, a parallel approach, certainly not a substitute for it, would be to encourage or justify ways of, of, of supporting and strengthening farms that are doing different things and diversifying away from just that one model. And as I get around the state, I think there's quite a lot of interest among farmers who um, are trying those different things and in, in seeing programs and policies uh, be supportive of, of what they're trying to do as well. That might be more diverse crop rotations, getting involved in a more integrated crop and livestock approach or expanding into new kinds of markets as opposed to kind of global markets um, as ways of spreading the risk and uh, finding opportunity for 21st century uh, agriculture to thrive. And I think for the state to really focus on young and beginning farmers, because we need them <laughs> desperately, um, is to really think about how is our agricultural policy really dovetailing with our rural development policy and different initiatives. So we need to really be thinking about this as a workforce attraction and retention issue. So what is the quality of life in our rural communities? What's the quality of schools and healthcare services? What is the broadband access like? Um, when we think about that issue of health insurance, one of the things we know is that um, farmers are actually overall pretty well insured, but that's largely through um, an off-farm job. And in rural areas, um, we have to think about the majority of good paying jobs with good benefits tend to be in um, the public self sector health education government. And so it's also just really important when we're doing that sort of planning um, across the state for us to be thinking about what types of jobs, with what types of benefits um, are going to be available within these rural communities that can also support the farm sector, um, because we're really seeing that how they're really linked together. They're not isolated from one each other. Yeah, so we really appreciate you guys um, sharing some of the, the highlights of this work with us today. For our listeners that may want to dig in a little deeper and check out the report in detail, you know, where could they find this information at? It's a great question. Um, some of this is hot off the press in terms of being ready to share. And we're posting in conjunction with the Knowledge Exchange here in our College of Food, Agriculture, and Environmental Sciences at Ohio State. Um, we're going to post some summary reports and resources that come directly from the farm poll. And then in the coming weeks, um, we'll be able to put more of that stuff um, on our own websites. And if possible, we'd love to put links to that on your podcast website so people can go there and link directly to it. Another thing I might point out is um, last year, uh, Dr. Inwood and I put out a report that summarizes really 20 years of census data about how is Ohio agriculture changing? And there's a, a neat trends report there that puts 2019, 2020 kind of into historical perspective. Um, it always is a crisis of the moment in agriculture and in society, but when you step back, some of the things that we see going on are really a reflection of long-term trends. And if we wanna look long-term into the future, 
we need to learn from that and think about what, um, how we can calibrate and direct agriculture, in particular in Ohio, in a way that's going to be really um, thriving in the future. And one other follow-up is we just really wanted to thank all the farmers of Ohio and the farm families who took time out of their very busy schedules to fill out the survey and um, share with us um, the real issues and challenges and opportunities that they see. And Amanda and Elizabeth, we really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to share back out those results so that um, the whole state knows um, what's happening within this community. Yeah, I think it's a really cool project. And like I said, great information to learn from. Um, it'll be interesting to see over the next few years as the next generation comes on board and how those farms change and adapt to what we've been seeing here the last couple of years. So thank you both for your time. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.